0: Part One of Chapter Twenty-One of the Book of Camping and Woodcraft: A Guidebook for Those Who Travel in the Wilderness. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne Spiegel. The Book of Camping and Woodcraft: A Guidebook for Those Who Travel in the Wilderness by Horace Kempart. Chapter Twenty-One: Accidents their backwoods treatment the present chapter is boiled down for the use of men with no surgical experience who may suddenly find themselves wounded or with an injured companion on their hands when far from any physician and with no special surgical appliances in operating upon a comrade the main things are to keep cool act promptly and make him feel that you have no doubt that you can pull him through all right place him in a comfortable position and expose the wound if you cannot otherwise remove the clothing quickly and without hurting him rip it up the seam first stop the bleeding if there is any then cleanse the wound then close it if a cut or torn wound then apply a sterilized dressing then bandage it in place of course if the injury is serious you will immediately send a messenger hot-footed for a surgeon provided there is any chance of getting one as for the patient himself let him never say die pluck has carried many a man triumphantly through what seemed the forlornest hope let me take space for an example or two kit carson once helped to amputate a comrade's limb when the only instruments available were a razor a handsaw and the king bolt of a wagon not a man in the party knew how to take up an artery fine teeth were filed in the back of the saw the iron was made white hot the arm was removed the stump seared so as to close the blood vessels and the patient recovered charles f loomis having fractured his right arm so badly that the bone protruded and being alone in the desert gave his canteen strap two flat turns about the wrist buckled it around a cedar tree mounted a nearby rock set his heels upon the edge and threw himself backwards he fainted but the bone was set Then. Having rigged splints to the injured member with his left hand and teeth, he walked fifty-two miles without resting before he could get food, and finished the seven-hundred-mile tramp to Los Angeles with the broken arm slung in a bandana. Richardson tells of a Montana trapper who, having his leg shattered in an Indian fight, and finding that gangrene was setting in, wetted one edge of his big hunting knife, filed the other into a saw, and with his own hands cut the flesh sawed the bone, and seared the arteries with a hot iron. He survived. To check bleeding. Stop the flow of blood temporarily by raising the injured part as high as you can above the heart and pressing very firmly with thumb or finger either on or into the wound. The patient can do this for himself and can control the bleeding until his hand gives out. There is record of an Austrian soldier who stopped bleeding from the great artery of the thigh for four hours by plugging the wound with his thumb. If he had let go for a minute he would have bled to death. Observe whether the bleeding is arterial or venous. If it comes from a vein the blood will be dark red or purplish, and will flow in a steady stream. Press upon the vein below the wound. Then prepare a clean pad, compress, and bind it upon the wound firmly enough to stop the bleeding permanently. If an artery is cut, the blood will be bright red and it will probably spurt in jets. Try to locate the artery above the wound, between it and the heart, by pressing very hard where you think the artery may pass close to a bone, and watch if this checks the flow. When you find the artery, then, if the wound be in leg, arm, head, or any other place where a tourniquet can be applied, proceed as follows. Tie a strong bandage handkerchief, belt, suspender, rope, strip of clothing, around the wounded member, and between the wound and the heart. Under it, and directly over the artery, place a smooth pebble, a cartridge, a piece of stick, or other hard lump. Then thrust a stout stick under the bandage and twist until the wound stops bleeding. The lump serves two purposes. It brings the most pressure where it will do the most good, and it allows the passage of enough blood on either side to keep the limb from being strangled to death. If the position of the artery above the wound cannot be determined, then, in case of a gaping wound that would be hard to plug, apply the tourniquet without any lump, and twist it very tight indeed. This can only be done for a short time, while you are preparing to ligate the artery. If prolonged it will kill the limb, and gangrene will ensue. In case of a puncture wound, such as a bullet hole, it is better to push a plug hard down in the wound itself, leaving the outer end projecting so that a bandage will hold the plug firmly on the artery. This must be done, anyway, wherever a tourniquet cannot be used. The above expedients are only temporary, for a cut artery of any considerable size must be ligated, that is to say, permanently closed by tying one or both of the severed ends. To do this you must have at least a pair of sharp-pointed forceps or strong tweezers. Perhaps you may have to extemporize them. If you have no iron, make a little pair of tongs by heating the middle of a green hardwood stick, bending over, and then shaping and fire-hardening the ends. Get hold of the end of the artery with this, draw it out and have someone hold it. Then take a piece of strong thread that has been sterilized in boiling salt water make a loop in it as for a common knot but pass the right hand of the thread twice around the other instead of once surgeon's knot it will never slip slip this loop down over the forceps and around the end of the artery and draw tight if the blood vessel bleeds from both ends legate both when an artery is merely ruptured not severed cut it clean in two before operating it will close better powdered alum tamped hard into a wound will stop bleeding from all but a large artery so will substances rich in tannin such as powdered sumac leaves dried over the fire if green and pulverized oak or hemlock bark do not use cobwebs nor the woolly inside of puff balls these old-fashioned syptics are likely to infect the wound with microorganisms and thus do more harm than good if a finger or toe is cut off as with an axe clap it quickly into place and bind it there it may grow on again nosebleed is sometimes uncontrollable by ordinary means try lifting the arms above the head and snuffing up alum water or soda water if this fails make a plug by rolling up part of a half-inch strip of cloth leaving one end dangling push this plug as far up the nose as it will go pack the rest of the strip tightly into the nostril and let the end protrude if there is leakage backwards into the mouth pack the lower part of plug more tightly leave the plug in place several hours then loosen with warm water or oil and remove very gently cleansing wounds after stopping the flow of blood cleanse the wound of any foreign substances that may have entered it to remove a splinter Slip the point of a small knife-blade under the protruding end and catch it up with the thumbnail. A fish-hook embedded in the flesh should be pushed on through. Then nip or file off the barb and withdraw. If a bullet is deeply embedded, let it alone. The chances are that it will do no harm. After picking out dirt, bits of cloth or other matter that would make the wound sore and slow to heal, wash the injured part with perfectly clean water. If there be any doubt about the water, boil it. Do not mop the wound with a rag. Hold the water a few inches above it and let a small stream gently trickle down upon it. A clean cut needs no washing. Simply draw the edges together and fasten them in place. Whenever it can be done, shave the skin for some distance around the wound. Hairs, no matter how small, are grease-coated and favor the growth of germs. Shaving also scrapes off surface dirt and dead scales of skin. CLOSING WOUNDS Never cover a wound with quart plaster. It prevents the free escape of separation, inflames the part, and makes the place difficult to cleanse thereafter. The only legitimate uses for sticking plaster are to hold dressings in place where bandaging is difficult, as on the buttock, or, in case of a cut, to keep the edges closed without sewing the skin. In the latter case the cut may be crossed with narrow strips of plaster leaving spaces between but a better way if you have a regular surgeon's plaster is as follows lay a broad strip on each side of the cut itself half an inch apart and extending beyond the wound at each end stick these strips firmly in place except about a quarter of an inch of the inner margins which are left loose for the present with needle and thread lace the strips deep stitches so they will not pull out, so as to draw the edges of the wound together, and then stick the inner margins down, not covering the wound. Sewing a wound should be avoided by inexperienced persons, unless it is really necessary, as in the case of a foot almost severed by an axe-cut. If an ordinary needle and thread must be used, sterilize them by soaking in a boiling solution of salt and water. It is here assumed that no better antiseptic agents are available. Sugar and water, or vinegar will do in a pinch. Do not sew continuously over and over, but make a deep stitch and snip off the thread, leaving enough at each end to tie with by and by. Repeat this at proper intervals until enough stitches have been taken, then go back and tie them, one after another, with surgeon's knot. Such sewing is easy to remove when the proper time comes, say within about six days. Dressing Wounds all inflammation of wounds, separation, and blood poisoning are due to living germs and to nothing else. These germs are not born in the wound, but enter from the outside. We may as well say that they are present everywhere. To prevent their entrance is much easier than to kill them once they have gained foothold. The only guarantee of a wound healing nicely is to make it antiseptic, that is to say, surgically clean. That means sterilize everything used about a wound by heat if you have no antiseptics, not trusting that anything is germ-free merely because it looks clean. The microorganisms that cause inflammation of a wound, fever, putrefaction, cannot be seen with the eye, and they may lurk anywhere. The unparalleled medical and surgical record of the Japanese in their late war was chiefly due to the unparalleled cleanliness in camp and field. Do not use a mere bandage directly on an open wound. First cover the injury with a compress, soft pad, made by folding a strip of cloth in several layers. Then bandage. Unless you have a first aid packet, or are otherwise provided with sterilized dressings or antiseptics, hold the material of the compress over a clear fire until it is fairly scorched, and then let it cool. A little charring of the surface will do no harm. In fact, charcoal is itself a good application to the surface of a wound. Of course the compress is to be renewed every time that the wound is dressed. Directions for bandaging cannot be given here for lack of space. The cuts printed on the triangular bandage in a soldier's first aid packet show, at a glance, how to bandage any part of the body. I cannot too highly recommend that every woodsman carry one of these packets in his pouch or pocket. It costs but a quarter, and is no larger than a purse, and weighs practically nothing. Burns if clothing sticks to the burn, do not try to remove it, but cut around it and flood it with oil. Prick blisters at both ends with a perfectly clean needle and remove the water by gentle pressure, being careful not to break the skin. A good application for a burn, including sunburn, is carin oil, equal parts linseed oil and lime water. Drugists supply an ointment known as solidified carin oil that is easy to carry. A 3% solution of carbolic acid applied with absorbent cotton, or a bandage, is an excellent application. Better still is the salve known as euguinetine. Lacking these, the next best thing is common baking soda. Footnote. Baking soda is the bicarbonate, washing soda or plain soda is carbonate. Do not confuse them. End footnote. Dissolve some in a little water, as is required to take it up. Saturate a cloth with this and apply. Another good application for burns is the scrapings of a raw potato, renewed when it feels hot. If you have none of these, use any kind of clean oil or unsalted grease, or dust flour over the burn, or use moist earth, preferably clay, then cover with cotton cloth. Do not remove the dead skin until new skin has formed underneath. Bruises Ordinary bruises are best treated with cold, wet cloths. Raw, lean meat applied to the part will prevent discoloration. Severe bruises, which are likely to form abscesses, should be covered with a cloth wrung out in water as hot as can be borne, to be reheated as it cools, afterwards with hot poultices. Poultices Poultices may be needed not only for bruises, but for felons, boils, carbuncles, etc. They are easily made from cornmeal or oatmeal. Mix by adding a little at a time to boiling water and stirring to a thick paste, then spread on cloth. Renew from time to time as it cools. To prevent a poultice from sticking, cover the surface with clean mosquito netting or smear the bruise with oil. It is a good idea to dust some charcoal over a sore before putting a poultice on. The woods themselves afford plenty of materials for good poultices chief of these is slippery elm, the mucilaginous inner bark of which, boiled in water and kneaded into a poultice, is soothing to inflammation and softens the tissues. Good poultices can also be made from the soft rind of tamarack, the root bark of basswood or cottonwood, and many other trees or plants. Our frontiersmen, like the Indians, often treated wounds by merely applying the chewed fresh leaves of alder, striped maple, moosewood, or sassafras. You may remember leather-stocking he was Hawkeye then, advising a wounded companion that a little bruised alder will work like a charm. SALVES Balsam obtained by pricking the little blisters on the bark of balsam firs is a good application for a wound. So is the honey-like gum of the liquidambar, or sweetgum tree, raw turpentine from any pine tree, and the resin procured by boxing gnashing a cypress or hemlock tree or by boiling a knot of the wood and skimming off the surface all of these resins are antiseptic and soothing to a wound sprains the regular medical treatment is to plunge a sprained ankle wrist or finger into water as hot as can be borne at the start and to raise the heat gradually thereafter to the limit of endurance continue for half an hour then put the joint in a hot wet bandage reheat from time to time and support the limb in an elevated position the leg being stretched as high as the hip or the arm carried in a sling in a day or two begin gently moving and kneading the joint and rub with liniment oil or vaseline in case of necessity a sprain of the ankle can be walked off you may shudder but the thing has been done more than once similarly i have overcome in a few hours an attack of lumbago though i had to start almost on all fours it was better than lying around a damp camp for a week, decidedly better after I got limbered up. As a soothing application for sprains, bruises, etc., the virtues of witch-hazel are well known. A decoction, strong tea, of the bark is easily made, or a poultice can be made from it. The inner bark of kinikinik, otherwise known as red willow or silky cornel, makes an excellent astringent poultice for sprains. The pain and inflammation of the sprained ankle are much relieved by dipping tobacco leaves in water and binding them around the injured part. Dislocation A dislocation of the finger can generally be reduced by pulling strongly and at the same time pushing the tip of the finger backward. If a shoulder is thrown out of joint, have the man lie down, place a pad in his armpit, remove your shoe and seat yourself by his side, facing him, then put your foot in his armpit, grasp the dislocated arm in both hands, and simultaneously push with your foot and pull on his arm, swing the arm towards his body till a snap is heard or felt. For any other dislocation, if you can possibly get a surgeon do not meddle with the joint, but surround it with flannel claws, wrung out in hot water, and supported with soft pads. Broken Bones If a bone is broken, and a surgeon cannot be summoned within a couple of days, do not try to reduce the fracture, for unskilled handling may do more harm than good. Place the man in a comfortable position, the injured part resting on a pad, and keep him perfectly quiet. It may be, however, that you must act the surgeon yourself. If the bone is broken in only one place and it does not protrude, the injury is not serious. Get splints and bandages ready. Rip the clothing up the seam and steadily pull the broken parts in opposite directions without the slightest twisting. Begin gently and gradually increase the strain. It may take a strong pull when the two pieces are end to end an assistant must gently work them till they fit this will be announced by a slight thud then apply splints and bandage them so as to hold the injured member immovable while the fracture heals bark where it can be peeled makes the best splints for an arm or leg pick out a sapling chestnut basswood elm cedar spruce as near the size of the limb as possible Remove the bark in two equal pieces by vertical slits. It is well, in some cases, to have these somewhat longer than the bone that is broken so as to clamp the connecting joints as well. Cover the concave insides with cloth, dry moss, crumpled grass, or other soft padding to cushion the limb and prevent irritation. The edges of splints should not meet quite around the limb. Then get a long bandage about two inches wide. Having set the bone, apply the splints on each side, and bandage them firmly enough to hold in place, but by no means so tightly as to impede circulation. In default of bark, almost anything will do for splints that is stiff enough to hold the parts in place, barrel staves, thin boards, sticks, bundles of rushes, etc. If a bone is broken in more than one place, or if it protrude through the skin, and you cannot fetch a surgeon to the patient, then get him out of the woods at all hazards. The utmost pains must be taken in transporting him, lest the sharp edges of the bones saw off an artery or pierce an important organ. The best litter is a big trough of bark, padded and attached to a frame swung between two poles. A two-horse litter is better than a travois, but if the latter must be used, then make one shaft a little shorter than the other, so that in crossing uneven places the shock will not all come at one jolt. Fainting. Lay the patient on his back with feet higher than his head. Loosen tight clothing and let him have plenty of fresh air. Sprinkle his face with cold water and rub his arms with it. When consciousness returns, give him a stimulant. For an attack of dizziness, bend the head down firmly between the knees. SHOCK In case of collapse following an accident, operation, fright, treat first as for fainting, then rub the limbs with flannel, stroking the extremities toward the heart apply hot plates stones or bottles of hot water wrapped in towels to the extremities and over the stomach then give hot tea or coffee or if there is no bleeding a tablespoon of whiskey and hot water repeating three or four times an hour stunning concussion of the brain lay the man on his back with head somewhat raised apply heat as for shock but keep the head cool with wet cloths do not give any stimulant THAT WOULD DRIVE THE BLOOD TO THE BRAIN WHERE IT IS NOT WANTED. SUNSTROKE. LAY THE PATIENT IN A COOL PLACE, SAME AS FOR STUNNING. IF THE SKIN IS HOT, REMOVE CLOTHING OR AT LEAST LOOSEN IT. HOLD A VESSEL OR HATFUL OF COLD WATER FOUR OR FIVE FEET ABOVE HIM AND POUR A STREAM FIRST ON HIS HEAD THEN ON HIS BODY AND LAST ON HIS EXTREMITIES. CONTINUE UNTIL CONSCIOUSNESS RETURNS. RENEW IF SYMPTOMS RECUR. IF THE SKIN IS COOL, A BAD SIGN, APPLY WARMTH and give stimulating drinks. Excessive Fatigue. Take a stimulant or hot drink when you get to camp, but not until then, and immediately eat something. Then rest between blankets to avoid catching cold. Famishing. Do not let a starved person eat much at a time. Prepare some broth or a gruel of cornmeal or oatmeal, thoroughly cooked, and feed but a small spoonful, repeating at intervals for a few minutes. Give very little the first day, or there will be bloating and nausea. Thirst. Allow the sufferer only a spoonful of water at a time, but at frequent intervals. Bathe him if possible. Freezing. Keep away from heat. To toast frost-bitten fingers or toes before the fire would bring chill and thawing out a badly frozen part would probably result in gangrene, making amputation necessary. Rub the frozen part with snow or with ice-cold water until the natural color of the skin is restored, then treat as a burn. Chilblains should be rubbed with whiskey or alum water. Poisonous plants. A specific for poison ivy or poison sumac is tincture of grindelia. I have cured cases two or three days old where both eyes were swollen shut and other parts correspondingly affected. Prompt application of a saturated solution of baking soda will generally check the trouble at the start. Dissolve plenty of soda in hot water and let it stand until cool when the excess will be precipitated and the liquor will be a saturated solution. Weak ammonia water serves as well. A hot decoction of the green bark of witch hazel is useful. Apply as hot as can be borne. Other woodland remedies are decoctions of sassafras root or of the bark and berries of common spice bush, taken both internally and externally. The druggist's prescription is add powdered sugar of lead, lead acetate, to weak alcohol, 50-75%, to 75% until no more will dissolve. Strain and wash the affected parts with it several times a day. To render the skin proof against these irritant poisons, bathe face and hands freely before going out in salt water or the baking soda solution, or weak ammonia water. If one swallows a vegetable poison, the remedy is an emetic, followed by whiskey or strong coffee, and, if necessary, artificial respiration as for drowning. To make an emetic, Add a tablespoonful of common salt or powdered mustard to a tumblerful of lukewarm water. Insect Stings Extract the sting if left in the wound, and apply a solution of baking soda, or a slice of raw onion, or a paste of clay mixed with saliva, or a moist quid of tobacco. Ammonia is the common remedy, but oil of sassafras is better. A watch key or other small hollow tube, pressed with force over the puncture and held there several minutes, will expel a good deal of the poison. Bite of a Rabbit Animal The bite of a mad dog, wolf, skunk, or other animal subject to rabies requires instant and heroic treatment. Immediately twist a tourniquet very tight above the wound, and then cut out the whole wound with a knife, or cauterize it to the bottom with a hot iron. Then drink enough strong whiskey to counteract the shock. Footnote the notion that skunk bite is very likely to cause hydrophobia is common in the southwest and is borne out by the reports of army surgeons the fact seems to be as explained by w wade in the american naturalist that men and other animals have occasionally been stricken mad by skunk bite and have died therefrom but this has only happened during an epidemic of rabies in which skunks being slow-moving and utterly fearless creatures fell easy prey to rabid dogs or wolves Becoming mad, in their turn, they would bite men sleeping in the open, and their bites would usually be inflicted upon the men's faces, hands, and other exposed parts of their persons. In such cases, since none of the poisonous saliva was wiped off by clothing, the result was almost certain death. But rabies is very exceptional among skunks, and the bite of a healthy animal is a trifling matter. End of chapter 21, part 1